Hello, and welcome to Introducing Me. I'm your host, Sarah. I started this podcast to get to know other people and lifestyles while discovering more about myself. Each episode, I will give a new guest a chance to discuss their background, culture, interests, or whatever they want to talk about to help increase all of our own worldviews. Today, I would like to introduce you to Lisa Love. She is a queer life coach, a survivor of Mormon patriarchy and child abuse. She is currently experiencing with she-they pronouns, and she's two years sober, and she has so much more in her life that she could talk about, but we thought that those were some of the topics we might get covered today, so I'm excited to hear about all her stories and what she's got to share in her life. So Lisa, why don't you go ahead, say hello, and tell us a little bit more about your story. Great. Thanks, Sarah. Hi, everyone. I am Lisa Love, and I'm so excited to be here and chatting with Sarah. I um, am currently a life coach, and prior to life coaching, I was teaching yoga and mindfulness um, before the great pandemic pivot. (laughs) So, um, and I'm a mom. I have a 13-year-old and uh, we live on the coast in California, and um, we're we're looking forward to getting back into socializing again after getting vaccinated. Um, it's been a long year, but I've, we're we've gained a lot of gratitude from from surviving this year. So happy to be here. Thank you, Sarah. Yes, thank you for being here. And. If I can't edit out the weird noises that occasionally might be happening, Lisa's neighbor is doing construction. So that's always fun. (laughs) You kind of just take whatever gets thrown at you. (laughs) That's right. (laughs) So, you know, you're a mom, you know, you said, you know, you've got a 13 year old. And, and one of the things that I said is that you're, you know, experiencing with she, they pronouns. So can you talk a little bit about that, especially as being someone of an older generation than someone who's in their teens or twenties? Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. That's a great question. I, over this last year, um, the pandemic being in shelter in place has really given me a lot of time for introspection. And, um, as I've, stepped more and more into the queer community, I've been just kind of noticing how I feel in my body and all of those kind of questions that came up for me. um, And I started to just question my gender. It wasn't anything that I had ever really done before, Um, but little kind of signals along the way, like just not feeling comfortable in my body um, made really kind of sparked that you know, inquiry and just kind of taking a closer look at it without, um, without judging it and without, um, just kind of dismissing it either, you know, just actually really like examining it. Like, is this what's going on for me? Um, and just really taking a look at that. So I, I, you know, realized that I've kind of always just felt, um, it's it's hard to describe like for me it's like like it's like not a gender it's like um you know there's just a part of me that's just not i wouldn't say is really an, any gender so it's been it's so i um i've like i said i've just been really examining that and coming to terms with it and feeling comfortable um you know leaning into that and and using different pronoun to identify with and, um, 
And it feels good. It feels, you know, and I'm seeing more and more people come out like Demi Lovato just came out as non-binary. And um, I'm appreciating that as well. I think I think uh, a lot of people have, have made new self-discoveries in this last year. Yeah. yeah. And the news about Demi literally came out today, the day that we are recording. So, you know, you're, you're seeing more people come out as non-binary, you know, the response that Demi got has been decently positive. What was the result or the, the story for you and your family, your friends, how has that been handled? Well, I first, I, for, it's been, it's been great. I mean, there hasn't been any, um, pushback or any like, you know, negative, um, responses. I really first talked to my husband about it. Cause I was like, you know, he's the, the closest person to me. And I was like, you know, I, I, I wanted to kind of try it out also like expressing it and talking about it. Um, but also wanting him to know that I was going to be talking more about it. So wanted him to be aware of that, but he was, he was very, um, he was a little surprised, but he was also like not surprised. <laughs> so he was like, hmm, interesting. I mean, and I do think it's, it's pretty common because just because of our general, um, kind of default understanding of gender, right? Like we kind of, grow up thinking it's black or white, it's, you know, one or the other, it's this binary. So I'm not surprised that he had that kind of reaction, but then very quickly was like, okay, well, yeah, it's, you know, you, he, what I said, are you surprised? And he said, no, nothing that you do ever surprises me. Like, <laughs> so I was like, okay. <laughs> um, cause we've been together for so long, um, for 24 years now. So it's, you know, I, so I, that's why I said he's like my best friend as well. Um, and then just kind of putting it out there, sharing it, um, in with the public, I haven't, I haven't gotten any, any kind of a response really. So, um, so yeah, it's been good. It's been well received and, um, and, and it feels good for me too, to really acknowledge that part of me and, um, leaning into that more and just accepting it as feeling more comfortable instead of feeling uncomfortable. Like, and like I said before, I really didn't know what it was. So now I like, I know what it is. And so that helps me feel even more comfortable. It's like, well, this is just who I am. Yeah. And that's great to hear that there's been such a positive response and you have a good support in your husband. And has there been any changes beyond the being comfortable in your body, more comfortable with your life? Have, have you had any other changes that you've noticed yourself going through and changing and re-identifying? Well, I've definitely, like I said, I just kind of wasn't feeling comfortable in my, in my body, but I noticed like throughout this last year, like I tend, I don't, what I realized is like that I don't, I don't like really being hyper-feminine even though I am perceived in that way and I've grown up in that way. And then sometimes I, I enjoy that dressing up and being, you know, super feminine, but, but in general, I, I don't. And so what I've realized is like, that's, that's been an expectation that I've 
that I've felt from my, my upbringing and, and from society. And then just the way people respond to me is they, they, they uh, appreciate like the femininity. Right. And so I've always kind of felt obligated to dress feminine, you know? Um, so that was a kind of a big change for me is to realize like, oh, I can just, I can wear whatever I want. Like, I don't need to fit this expectation of being super feminine. Um, again, sometimes I, I enjoy that and I like dressing up. Um, but, uh, most of the time I don't, I, you know, I like, I, I mean, I like to be in costume and dress up for, you know, occasions and things like that. But for the day to day, it's just like, you know, dressing comfortably and, and, you know, not having to feel like I have to dress a certain way. Yeah, that's completely understandable. Now you mentioned, you know, your upbringing and kind of this, you know, the binary that we were kind of all taught and things have changed. Um, so you, it's my understanding you grew up in the Mormon patriarchy and you since left that. So can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, I was, uh, born and raised, uh, in the Mormon church. And when I was 17, which was many years ago now, (laughs) I, um, I left home and I left, um, the church at that time as well. Um, and it was, um, and it wasn't because, you know, it was a few years later that I discovered that I was bisexual. So it wasn't for that reason. It was really just, um, because of my, my father was just like super controlling. And I was, that just really aligned with the ideology of the church as well. Um, and so we, we just really kind of came to heads. So when I was 17, I, I moved out, uh, through the emancipation process, left home and was on my own and, and, um, you know, just taking care of myself from a, from a young age. Um, but it, because of that, that religious ideology and just kind of really being born into it and not knowing anything else, it was like when I left home at 17, it was almost like I was starting over you know, in terms of like my understanding of the world, like, you know, I, I mean, I went to public school. I wasn't, you know, that, um, excluded from society, but it still wasn't like, um, a normal upbringing. You know, we were, you know, I went in high school, for example, I went to, um, uh, like a, 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 it was called seminary. So I went to like, um, before high school. So like at 7am I would go and study with my church group, then go to school. And then on Sunday I would go to church as well. So it was, you know, it was so much part of our day to day. So when I moved out, I was able to, you know, stop thinking like that and stop those, those kind of automatic behaviors. Um, and just discover what the world was like. So it, it was, um, and then over the years, I've really done a lot more work of kind of shedding those beliefs and, um, and, and just opening up to the world as it is. Um, and I think that 
contributes to my love of learning. Like I love to learn. I'm, I just, I'm, I'm an avid reader and I love to study new things um, because I felt, you know, pretty isolated growing up that I wasn't exposed. I knew I wasn't exposed to like what was really going on in the world. You know, it was pretty sheltered in that sense. Um, so that uh, contributed to um, just the, that upbringing uh, contributed to those kind of ideologies. And, and then when I moved out, I was able to kind of do a lot of self-discovery, but initially I was, you know, I was working two jobs and really taking care of myself. And, you know, the, the focus was really on survival until I, again, a few years later got to to college, I started to discover more about my sexuality. So, um, yeah, it was, it's, it's been, I feel like I've lived many lives <laughs> having started at that young of an age to, um, you know, to be on my own and, and taking care of myself at that young of an age. Yeah, that must have been difficult and extremely like life changing as, as you were talking about it. Now, by leaving the church and leaving your family home, does that mean that you no longer have a relationship with your family? Yeah, I don't. I no longer have a relationship with my my father and my stepmom and um, her and her kids. Um, but I do still have a relationship with my younger sister, and it's complicated because she still has a relationship with my father. So um, we essentially just agree not to talk about him and or try not to, you know, as it comes up if it needs to. But for the most part, um, we've just because we've had, uh, you know, difficult conversations. So we've just agreed that we we're in different places and we do value our relationship with each other. So that's really, you know, the priority, but yeah, otherwise, and that was part of, you know, and that's how I can really relate to being, being rejected by your family. Um, because leaving home and, you know, I was told like, if you leave, you can't come back, you know, like you can't, you, you're leaving the church, you can't come back. And I got a lot of uh, judgment and criticism from other people in the church when I left. Um, and so, you know, they really showed me their true colors, essentially, you know, it's like, it's not a, it's not a, a religion that is accepting of, um, living your own life on your own terms. Um, so it's, so yeah, I've, I've grown up on my own and, you know, make creating my own friendships and, um, creating my own chosen family. And, um, and certainly, you know, all of us within the LGBTQ community, you know, we have to do that as well, because, you know, we're, most of us are in that same situation where we're not fully accepted by our family and, and, um, have to, you know, create the, the family, the support system for ourselves. Yeah. yeah. So then what was it like creating like your own sense of purpose, if I'll call it, like while 
you know, after you were able to get through the like survival stages of being 17 and on your own and then getting into college and exploring things a little more? Yeah, it was, um, it was a great period of time for me. I started out, you know, just taking community classes and, um, and then I, I thought, you know, I'd always had this interest in drawing. So I, I got a, um, a pamphlet from the park and recs department advertising like a drawing class. And so I was like, I'll just, you know, let's just try, I was telling myself, let's just try the class. If, you know, if I can do it, like, that'd be great. If not, like, you know, I'm, I know I can't draw, like I wanted to kind of see if I could draw. And so I took the class and sure enough, I could. And so then I started taking art classes at the community college and then ended up transferring to an art school in San Francisco where I met my husband. Um, and, and that process was very, um, uh, just eye opening for me, you know, because I did so much, um, exploration, self-exploration and, and, you know, who I was like art school really forces you to look in the mirror, you know? Um, so I really did that. And, um, and then at that time I was, my, my father's was a therapist. So I was always opposed to therapy and therapists just because of my upbringing with him. And, um, but by that point, I think I was 24 at that point. Um, and things were kind of starting, I was realizing like, oh, I, I, I want to take a deeper dive into this. So I started doing therapy through the art school, um, through their, um, therapy program. And, and that's when, you know, things really started to kind of come undone. Um, but fortunately I had the, the, uh, I had the, the, um, the ability to express what I was going through, through the medium of art. And I was taking, uh, photography and, and jewelry courses as well as painting. And so I ended up, um, focusing on painting because it was, a, you know, just a, a lovely way for me to express my emotions and, and kind of process everything that was coming up. And from my, my childhood abuse as well, like a lot of that came up as well as kind of dismantling the, the religious ideologies, you know, so much, um, I would say just kind of crumbled. Um, but then I was able to, to, um, rise again, essentially, you know, uh, recreate myself, um, or rediscover, you know, the, the person who I actually was, you know, it's like, I didn't really know who that was. Cause I was just kind of, I was following someone else's plan. You know, I wasn't really following my own plan. So yeah, art school really was an incredible experience for me. Yeah. And would you be willing to talk a little bit about your childhood abuse? Yeah. I mean, I, um, it was, my father abused me as a child and, um, it was, uh, sexual abuse and, um, it was something that it, he was abusing both me and my old, well, all three of us, my three sisters. Um, and, 
it, yeah, it was really hard on us because, you know, just the secrecy and then, you know, as a child, like you're, it's so confusing, you know, like what, you don't really know what to make sense of it all. And, and then, you know, I really, I study now like the nervous system and the stress response and like just knowing all about that. It's like, as a child, you're, you're put into this stressful state as well, which is really kind of discombobulating. Um, so yeah, it really, um, and I'm, a, I'm, I've always been kind of a shy, quiet person. Um, so that just, you know, contributed to my quietness even more. Um, our family, my parents got divorced when I was four. So I was the, the abuse happened at the time when I was living with my father and my stepmom. Um, and, you know, really, I think just at, at the time, I don't think it really was like an, if I just kind of look at it objectively, it really didn't impact the family, so to speak, because my father was just so in control and so dominating. Um, but it was later when, you know, when we started hitting our teenage years, you know, my that my sister, my older sister started really getting rebellious. And I was just, I think it was just hitting me more internally. Um, but then once I hit 17, like I think that definitely contributed to my kind of sudden defiance of him. Like I was like, no, I think we're done here. You know, <laughs> I was like, I could, I had an opportunity to, to leave. And I, I, cl I clearly saw that, you know, but it was only in looking back that I was like, oh, you know, I really, um, seized the opportunity there, you know, but in the moment I, you know, I just thought like, oh, I'm just dealing with this really overbearing person. Um, but yeah, I, I think it, you know, gave me the, the onus to really leave in that, in that moment. And I'm, I'm so grateful for that because I really honestly don't know what my life would be like if I hadn't left at that age, because my older sister, she didn't leave and, you know, till like maybe two or three years later. And then my younger sister, she still has a relationship with my dad, you know, and I think that, um, I was able to break that dependency. Um, so I'm super, I feel very grateful for that. Cause I know, I just don't know that I would have the life I have now if I hadn't left then. Yeah. Well, I really appreciate you sharing that. And it's absolutely wonderful that you were able to take that opportunity to leave, even if you didn't know at the time how much you would need it. So how did you go from art school to yoga and mindfulness? <laughs> I know that's a big jump, right? Well, it didn't happen consecutively. <laughs> um, I was... Um, I had started taking yoga with a friend, one of my husband's friends, um, probably, probably a little bit after art school, but right around that time. And so I was taking yoga, yoga classes, um, here and there, you know, wasn't consistently. And then, um, but then as I, as the years went on and I, you know, continued to taking more and more classes and my practice progressed. Um, 
I started thinking, you know, I want to become a yoga teacher. Like I would, I would love to be able to offer this to people and to share this, this practice because it's so, um, you know, feeds your soul. It's very supportive for you as an individual. It allows you that time and space to be introspective. And also is it, you know, attending to your health needs as well. Like it's just um, body, mind, and soul. Like it's just, you know, it's really there for you. Um, so, and then at some point, um, so the practice I was in though was Bikram yoga, which, you know, I had heard terrible things about him as an instructor, as a trainer. So I knew, even though I wanted to become a teacher and the the only practice I knew was Bikram yoga, I knew I did not want to train with him. I didn't want to go through his training. Um, so I started, you know, asking around and a friend of mine um, had taken a, a 200 hour vinyasa teacher training. Um, and so I checked that out. And so that's where I ended up going. And, um, but bef- before that, I was working in a career within human resources, um, which was a pretty stressful job. It was highly administrative, but I was also dealing with a lot of employee relations issues and it was just a lot of stress. Um, so the yoga w- was a rep- reprieve for me. Um, and it was also like the impetus to like get out of that career. You know, it's like, okay, <laughs> let's do something else. <laughs> um, so that, that was kind of the push you know, but also at that time I lost my mom, my mom passed away. Um, and then right in the middle of my, my yoga teacher training, my older sister passed away. So both lose, having lost both of them really, um, again, pushed me into making that career change because, um, there, you know, the money's not there. It wasn't like a, you know, a big financial move to go teach yoga. Um, but it was more like, you know, the heart and the passion to want to be in a career that, that I feel, you know, gives me that sense of purpose that I feel really, um, I've, I feel really good about. Um, so unfortunately my husband supported me and, and I was able to make that shift, but it's, um, and it was such, I, I loved teaching yoga and mindfulness. It was so rewarding. And that's, that's, you know, I continued to teach, uh, mindfulness in my coaching practice. Yeah. Do you have any hopes or plans to go back to teaching yoga once it's a little bit safer? I might, I don't have any plans, but a friend of mine before I was, before the pandemic hit, um, I was teaching yoga full time and I was teaching five classes a week and workshops, um, monthly workshops. And I was teaching, uh, restorative yoga. So I was teaching restorative yoga and offering these workshops with a friend of mine who does sound healing. And so she, she and she and I were, had a great year the year before, and then we had planned a retreat to Bali together. Um, but that got canceled. And so that's still a possibility that we might still, you know, cause she, she does, she still does a lot of sound healing and, uh, travels to Bali. So that's certainly possible that, um, 
that kind of a, an event um, could still happen. I don't have any plans for it, but yeah, I think definitely as we open up, um, you know, I'm excited by the in-person gatherings and possibilities for events, right? Like I think um, as that opens up and it's, it's as it's safe to have events, um, yeah, I'm excited to participate in those and whatever that looks like. Um, and especially now that my focus is on the LGBTQ community, I'm excited to participate in events for the LGBTQ community as well. Yeah. And what exactly is it that you do as a life coach? Well, I offer um, individual one-on-one -on -one life coaching and to really help people, you know, kind of uncover you know, who they are, what are their strengths, what are their values, what are kind of, what kind of um, mindset are they in? What's like, how are they holding themselves back? Um, and then how can they really just lean into um, building their emotional resilience um, to overcome adversity? And the, the emotional resilience is, um, it's exciting to me because it's something that that I've really personally developed, you know, just through my own life and, and it's helped me tremendously. So having this skill set, like being able to recover quickly from challenges and setbacks, um, you know, really is just like with the mindfulness practice, it's something that you can strengthen, but it's also something that you can really um, utilize like intentionally. So in a stressful situation or a challenge, um, you can intentionally use it to support you to really get through whatever difficulty you're experiencing. So I, I'm really passionate about that. I also offer online courses and, um, and uh, soon I'll be offering a group coaching uh, program as well. Yeah. And so... Are you focused mainly on the LGBTQ community in your life coaching? Yeah. Yeah. That's the, the primary community that I'm serving uh, is the LGBTQ community. When I, when I first started coaching, like during the pandemic, I had um, completed my life coaching certificate and was just kind of launching and was just, you know, in general offering it to people. But as I um, started really doing all the work to identify my ideal customer and really what who that looks like, um, you know, I, I discovered I really want to serve this community um, and share with them, you know, these tools to help them really uh, overcome challenges in their lives and and to really feel their sense of purpose, really create uh, goals that are aligned with their values and to, to really understand their strengths. You know, I find that a lot of people don't understand what their strengths are or they're not applying them in situations. So, you know, I think that's always really insightful and, and it's just so helpful in, in your day-to-day -day life. Like you just never know what is going to get thrown at you or what's going to happen. And so the more tools and skills you have to just, you know, handle things and um, just keep going, it's, you know, it helps you just 
succeed in life and, and gives you a great sense of purpose. And what's it like to go through as like a customer through a life coaching session? Uh, for individual session, it's like there's, we'll have an initial um, conversation about what your, um, what your goals are, what your needs are, what your values are, and just kind of like, you know, kind of a getting to know you session. Um, and then the next step is to really define um, what your um like an action plan based on your goals. So really coming up with those, um, those steps, those action steps towards your goals and really making them achievable. So really also depends on the person, like where you're at, what's actually achievable for you. And I really like thinking about things in really small steps um, because then that, then you're making progress. You can easily do one, take one step at a time and then work towards your larger goal. And then, and then after that, it's ongoing um, coaching sessions to really help you um, stay in alignment with your, with your values-based goals and continue working on your emotional resilience. Because we all get derailed by things. You know, again, you just never know what's gonna throw you off. Um, but is, if you can recover quickly, then you can just get back on track. Yeah. So I can help people do that through coaching. And then also, um, I have an online course that can help them with that as well. Cool. It sounds like, um, going through life coaching is probably something that like everybody needs in their life. <laughs> <laughs> totally. Yes. Yeah. It's so helpful to have somebody have like an objective perspective, somebody who can see things that you're just not able to see. And then, um, that can help you kind of see also your behaviors or your thinking that are, are kind of getting in your way. But again, you just get that perspective that you're not able to see yourself because you know, you're, you're in the midst of it. Definitely. Yes. Third party perspective is always great. So what else would you like to share with the listeners, whether that's about you, your life, really anything? Well, I've also, um, this last, um, well, it's almost two and a half years now that I've been sober. So it's been, that's, you know, something else that has really benefited my life and my ability to, um, face my fears, you know, to be more brave and courageous with, you know, just each step of the way. Um, and it was, it was in 2019. So I think as I look back on it, it's, it, it really contributed to my, all my comfortability in coming out publicly. Cause that was the year I came out publicly, um, as bisexual. And, um, so yeah, I, I, it has also, you know, it took me a long time to get to that point where I was like, okay, I'm done with this drinking. Um, because, you know, just be, it was just becoming such a part of my life. The, the drinking, the, like the management of it, like having to manage like, okay, who's going to drive. And then the recovery from drinking too much, like I can't do stuff on certain days. Right. Like it was just getting to be too much. And, um, the year before 
I actually, I had discovered that I was anemic, was having some health issues. And it was because I was having uh, heavy periods. So it was, so I addressed that. And so that year before I stopped drinking, I, I got a lot healthier. It was like, I could rely on myself. I couldn't, I could like, I didn't have to schedule around my period. Like that was also this thing I was managing, like, oh, I can't plan a workshop on this weekend because I'm going to be out for the count. You know, it's like just exhausted. Um, So I think because I got that sorted, like I started to see the drinking in a new way as well, because I was like, oh, this is another thing I'm having to manage that's affecting my health. And so I just, I just was tired of it. I just was like, okay, I I don't want to deal with this anymore. You know, it's like, you know, just, I got that clarity that I could really see how much time I was spending on managing it, you know, and it, it caused a lot of health problems. And I felt just terrible, you know, and because of it, the hangover was just so much to recover from. So were you mostly drinking a lot at like periods of time or were you also like just kind of like drinking every single day? It was mostly social, like the social drinking, you know, it's like, it's so ingrained in our society. I mean, it's also like once you, (laughs) once you stop drinking, it's like you realize, you see like how much advertisement, how much like everything is all about the drinks. You know, it's like, you can't go to a restaurant without being offered a drink at least three or four times. Like it's just everywhere you go, you know, it's all about the alcohol. And, um, so it's, it was the socializing, the drinking. Um, I also, was, you know, it was helping me with my social anxiety. So it was like, okay, you know, what's going on here? Who do I talk to? Or what do I say? So have a drink, you know, chill out. But then, um, you know, what just the one drink leads to two and three. And then it's at some point your, you, your brain is, you know, is, is not functioning properly. So you, make bad choices. You think, oh, I can have another drink or I can have another drink, not realizing that um, you've, I've had plenty. I, I need to stop. <laughs> um, and then I was drinking at home outside of social situations because it was my way to unwind and relax. So that was like kind of my evening routine as well. Not as much as I was drinking socially, but but still, you know, it all adds up. It was like I was I was not supporting my liver health in any way. Um, and so, yeah, it's, um, it has, it's, it's been a great learning experience to learn new ways to relax and unwind and, and not have this dependency on something in order to relax. Like now I know how to relax without having to use any kind of a substance, um, and so it's, it's, um, it's very empowering. Yeah. And did you struggle at all to switch to not drinking? I mean, like this past year, obviously like socially going out hasn't been a thing. So that might've also helped at least in the last year. Yeah, it wasn't, 
Well, it's interesting though, because everybody I knew was drinking a lot more during the pandemic. It was like, oh, and all the kind of like memes you'd see online, it's like, "Uh oh, I'm drinking again. It's like, you know, (laughs) everybody was like, oops, I've, I've become an alcoholic. Uh oh. It was like this joke. Um, so I was, I didn't have the urge to drink, but I was very much aware of had I been still been drinking that I would have leaned into that also for sure, because it was like a cultural thing of like, oh, let's drink because we're stuck at home. So <laughs> I'm actually, I'm so grateful that I, I was out of the drinking. So I didn't fall into that. Um, again, this kind of social uh, group activity, you know, that was going on. Um, it's kind of like a game, you know, it's like, let's drink. Okay, let's drink. It's like, who's drinking? Who's not? And if you're not drinking, it's like, you're no fun, you know, that kind of thing. So it's, um, yeah, I've, I didn't have any problems with not drinking during the pandemic and I'm, <laughs> I'm grateful that I wasn't. <laughs> That's great. And, and you said it a little bit before about just like what society shows for drinking, all the marketing the if you're not drinking your ex and I've taken personally a stance that I don't drink in public beyond with my significant other because it's this situation of if I were to drink socially and then I were to stop I'm pregnant and I'm like I'm not looking to have children and or being pregnant and I don't want you making those assumptions right oh my god that's so true right yeah it's it's um so ingrained in our society and, and, you know, the restaurants make all the money, you know, it's, it's how anyone's going to make their money, right? It's like, we'll sell drinks, get, you know, get that on the menu, you know, they make so much money on drinks. Um, and then people like, you know, then there is the, like, um, the, the soothing aspect of it, right? It's like you're you're soothing your nerves. You're you're like unwinding after a long day. Let's meet up for drinks. You know, let's blow off some steam. Um, let's celebrate. Let's go have some drinks. You know, it's like all the drinking. It's like let's drink and and it, you know it does take um, like like you were describing some strong um, a strong intention to be committed to your own values. Like, nope, this is where I stand. Like if you're wishy-washy at all, then you're probably going to (laughs) drink. You have to have like a strong agreement with yourself, like in terms of where you stand. Yeah. Now, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think with one of the things you were saying, you said that you came out publicly as bisexual in 2019, but you realized you were bisexual back when you were in college Uh so you weren't back in college in 2019 so what was the right what was the story there well I was out to my close friends so like people I was I was close with or intimate with you know I obviously was out to them but I wasn't it wasn't something I felt comfortable like putting on display essentially or broadcasting. And, you know, that was in the the late nineties, you know, that was also like, um, 
granted, I was in San Francisco. Everything was very, um, you know, supported, right? But I wasn't personally in the mindset of feeling comfortable, really. To me, it felt like because of my religious upbringing, like it really was like, um, like a risky thing to do. Like it was like, oh, that's going to put me at risk. Like I, I definitely, because of my having left the the Mormon church, I definitely kind of felt like I was in hiding from them for definitely through my twenties and, and, you know, some of my thirties because they're, they, the church really will try to claw you back. Like they're definitely, um, interested in retaining their members. Um, and so that, that can just contributed to my, my kind of fear of really putting that out there. Um, uh, but I was also still, you know, figuring it all out, you know, and I think that is definitely something I appreciate about this generation. And, you know, just more and more people coming out is that there's, that it, that you don't have to have it all figured out before you come out, right? Like, it's just like, well, this is where I am today. <laughs> this is where I am on my journey. And so I really appreciate that. It's like, gives you permission to just say, Hey, you know, today, this is where I'm at. Like tomorrow it might change and that's okay. Like it's not, again, it's not binary. It's like, it doesn't have to be once I figure this out, then I'll let you know, you know? (laughs) Now with all of my guests, before I wrap things up, I ask a random fun question in light of your neighbors doing construction. What, if you could do anything (laughs) to the place that you currently live to improve your life, what would you choose to do? Oh, what a great question. Oh, well, if I could do anything, of course, I would add like uh, two more bathrooms and I would add like a whole nother, um, I would add a whole addition with like my own private office and um, uh, yeah, it's definitely the additional bathrooms would be great. Two bathrooms, not just one, two. Not just one. <laughs> Realistically, is there is there anything that you could do to improve your house? Um, well, we just actually did some work in the backyard that we had to do for drainage, but you know, it ended up looking really nice. Um, and our plan is to add one bathroom because we only have one bathroom currently. So it's quite a quite a um a juggle, you know, between the three of us. Um, but we do have plans to add one bathroom, but probably, you know, it's not on the calendar yet, but it's coming soon. Can't wait for that. Um, and then the other thing is we're going to be finishing the garage so that it's, it can be like an art studio. So that would be something that, again, it's, it's in the plan. It's not on the calendar yet, but it's coming soon. Coming soon to a home near you. (laughs) All right, that brings this episode to a close. I will be leaving Lisa's website in the description. So that is lisalovehall.com. So you can find more information about the services that she offers. And of course, she's also on Instagram. So I'll be 
leaving that social media link in the description as well. And if you'd like to connect with the podcast, the website is in the description and that will bring you to our Facebook, LinkedIn, and Instagram. So I'd love if you go and give those pages a follow. And if you would like to be a guest on this podcast, I'm always looking for new guests and you can feel free to reach out via email. And if you would like to support the podcast monetarily, we have a Patreon website where you can support monthly or as a one-time donation. All support is greatly appreciated. So thank you so much, Lisa, for spending time with me today and to my listeners for taking the time out of your day to hear a new story. Until next week, bye. Thanks, Sarah. I really enjoyed this. Thank you.